Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Black on the Air. I am Larry Wilmore. Larry Wilmore, Black on the Air. That title always tickles me. I know. I don't know why. I want to thank everybody for joining the podcast, uh, for sharing it with your friends. Um, you guys have been great spreading the word. Keep spreading that word. Larry Wilmore, Black on the Air, part of the Ringer Podcast Network over here. It's so weird that I would be in a sports, basically a sports-oriented uh, podcast network. But as you guys know, I love sports, so it really fits for me, even though I don't talk about it that much. It's, uh, it's a tough day today. I'm taping this on Wednesday, August 30th, if you're listening. And um, we're going through the devastation that's happening in Texas right now, uh, especially the flooding in Houston and some of the outlying areas. And let me just start off by saying, man, my, my heart really goes out to everybody there thoughts and prayers and all those things. And, and just, you know, Texas, we're, we're looking out for you right now. I mean, I'm so inspired by all the people that are, it's inspiring, man. When you see people helping out in all the different types of ways, whether it's raising money online or you see, um, I saw this guy on TV, he had a furniture shop and he just let people come into his furniture shop. He didn't care. They were wet and dirty. (laughs) Didn't matter. The kids were like jumping on the mattresses. It was amazing. It was amazing. The rescues that people are doing, it's so dangerous. I think uh, some, you know, some people have died in it and that kind of stuff. It's very inspiring to see people come together. Um, Personally, um, I have a connection to Houston. It's one of the first places I went to as a young comic doing stand-up. There's a club called The Laugh Stop. (laughs) This is back in the day. And I always had a great time in Houston and in the state of Texas, Austin, San Antonio, Dallas. I've been all around Texas. Texas gets, it gets slammed a lot because Texas is such an outsized personality. Texas is almost, is, is, is almost a personality in and of itself. It seems like a person more than a state, you know, like even their slogan, don't mess with Texas. It's like, calm down, Texas. Nobody's, nobody's messing with you, you know, but, uh, but let me just say, I have always enjoyed my time in Texas and have met the nicest people in the world in Texas and especially in Houston, when I was doing stand-up, I met so many cool people in Houston. And so, man, I really, really feel for you, Houston, um, when I see the the pictures of the people in despair. And, you know, so there are a lot of different charities out there that you guys can check online. I know Red Cross is doing a lot right on the ground right now. Um, but there, there are a lot of different direct charities for different types of needs. I think uh, there's some good ones, I think, for senior citizens and that sorts of thing. I'm not going to get into the going after response time. People, I know Joel Osteen got a little heat. Although it was kind of, I have to admit, it made me laugh a little bit because, he, you know, he's got that big mega church, which is kind of problematic already. And uh, it used to be like a basketball stadium or something. And people were, they, he said it was closed or something for a while. And then people were tweeting photos. The internet is so amazing. You can't do shit these days without somebody calling you on it. People were like tweeting photos of the doesn't look doesn't look flooded to me, you know. But you know, I think they're 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 doing their bit, and I'm not gonna like get on that train. But it does it it I do find that stuff interesting. The president, however, is a different issue. You know, these are those times when the president kind of becomes comforter in chief and uh, disaster reliever in chief and that sort of thing. And guys, here's the thing about Trump, as you know. 
with me. It's so hard to treat him like any kind of normal person because you know how I feel about him. You know, I feel he's a narcissistic sociopath, which I just don't feel that. Uh, he definitely is. You know, I don't think he has the ability to relate to people in normal ways. So it's hard to even criticize him. You know, um, you know, even the fact that, you know, he did this Joe Arpaio thing, which I'm not going to go into detail right now. He pardoned Joe Arpaio, the, the sheriff, who I call definitely regard him put him in that racist lane. Sorry, Sheriff Joe. But uh, you're one of the people that got on that birther movement to uh, delegitimize Barack Obama. And that's how you and Trump got real cozy. But let alone just the whole act of, if you were a Latino in Arizona during that time, I mean, you felt so violated that, you know, you could have been stopped at any time and all those types of things. But anyhow, there were so many issues around that Joe Pyle thing. But the fact that Trump talks about that in a way that is so self-serving where he says, I released this the night of the hurricane because I figured there'd be high ratings. Guys, this, I don't have words for this. It's so outrageous. And I'm, I'm trying to catch myself on the outrageous meter tube and tamp it down. And so, but anyhow, I'm going to keep going after Trump. I'm taking a little break today. And um, we're talking, oh, by the way, did I mention the Young Turks are on the show today? And uh, we'll have a good conversation about them, about Trump and the administration and all that. So I'll save it for that. But here's one thing I didn't want to talk about today, just for a little bit. Whenever things like this happen, there's a phrase that's used, and I think we can do better with this phrase. And um, people, and the phrase is act of God. And this phrase is used a lot. It's used in legal language. Like if you buy a house and you get insurance, they always account for an act of God, you know. And I want us to stop using that phrase because I don't like it. I don't think it's accurate. And I'm a writer and I really like accurate language. I think we should call it what it is. It's an act of science, you guys. Hurricanes are an act of science. God, whatever your belief in God is or whatever, God is not out there punishing people with hurricanes or rain or earthquakes or these types of things. That is science. And I think a lot of that type of language is one of the root reasons why we can't even agree on things like like climate change or global warming and that sort of thing. And it's deeply embedded in all of us, by the way. It goes back to even, uh, I mean, the whole story of Noah's Ark, for Christ's sakes. Everybody learned that as a kid, you know, and many different cultures have flood stories. But the whole notion, you know, that God would punish the earth with a flood is so deeply embedded in the culture. But guys, this is... Floods are science. Homosexuals weren't being killed off in in floods in the South when I think it was Jerry Falwell who said that. You know, these are tragic events that, you know, sometimes they're predicted and sometimes they're not accurately predicted. But you'd never see a weatherman calling the weather saying, uh, yeah, we're going to have rain this Friday. Uh, of course, we've got to account for what God might do. He gets a little ornery around this time of year. Hard to predict him. He's kind of testy. So stop it, please. Please don't do that anymore. If we could change that, that would make me so happy. Now, I don't say that as a mean to suggest, I'm not pushing for any kind of atheism or agnosticism. I've talked about my relationship to religion over the years. I grew up Catholic. I call myself Catholic right now, which is kind of my way of saying, I'm not sure where I stand in terms of a lot of the larger issues, you know, but I do try to use, I don't try to turn off my brain. I don't think you you have to turn off your brain in order to have faith. And I want to make a distinction between importance of faith in these situations and the belief in a God-forced situation. Okay, 
I think faith can be very important in these situations. I think faith is something that can bring people together. It can inspire people. It can motivate people. It can be the way that communities heal. You know, it can be something that is useful on a personal level, on a on a community level. I mean, we know the negative effects of faith too. We know faith has been used in horrible ways, but that's not my point here. My point is that faith can be a very constructive thing and can be a thing that can really be the most helpful in these types of situations. But I think it would be good if we separate um, this idea that God has a hand in this, you know. And I know I'm going to upset some people who believe these things, but I don't care. I think the if we can change this instead of from act of God to act of science and use our faith to help heal and bring people together, I, th- I just think we'd be a lot better off. That's my, that's my sermon for the day. They had a little sermon today. It really wasn't that funny, but it was, it was kind of an interesting sermon. So anyhow, that's all I got. Not much today because my mind is on uh, the people going through the situation. And like I said, uh, keep your eyes out, guys. Um, every way, all the different ways that we can help, I think is awesome. It's really inspirational to see that. So anyhow, we have the Young Turks coming up. We're going to try to cover as much as we can with everything that's going on. I can't wait to talk to them. They're, they're so great. Uh, Cenk Uger and Anna Kasparian. So stick around for that. But first, this quick word. All right, welcome back. Well, guys, I'm very excited today. Um, In the Ringer studio are two very exciting people in the world of news and information and truth, y'all. It is the Young Turks themselves, Jank Uger and Anna Kasparian. Welcome, guys, to Black on the Air. Thank you. Thank you. And I've got to say, I love the name of the podcast. Thank yes. you. Yes. Yeah, I was. I always say it always makes me laugh whenever I say it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things. Because it works on a lot of different levels. Larry Wilmore, black on the air. Mm-hmm. But um, but you guys have been black on the air for a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, I want to talk about who you guys are uh, first and talk about the Young Turks. And then we'll get into issues and stuff like that. Because uh, first of all, I don't know how you guys keep so many things in your head all the time. It always seems like you guys are... Well, anyway, I want to get into that later, but I've, I'm just impressed by you guys personally, you know. And and also, I just want to say, before we get started, too, um, I've met you guys before. Anna was so nice. She came on my show. And that was in 2012. That was fun. Yeah. That was like five years ago. Yeah, right? in Florida. In I Florida, yeah, yeah. That was so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it was so much fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, Jenk, did I meet you on the train? From, yeah. well, you, had, you were at the Correspondence Dinner, right? Yeah, we did it. When you did the Correspondence Dinner, we were on the yes. train together. You were so nice to me. I'll never forget that because I was kind of shaken the next morning. I didn't know really what to think, you know? there was so, I, My Twitter account was just, you know, there was so much from positive and negative. And he was so nice. He came up and we sat for a while and talked. And I'll never forget that. It was it was very special. But I've been a fan of you guys for a long time and what you're doing. But Cenk, now, you're from Istanbul, right? Yes, originally, yep. Yeah, you grew up in Istanbul? I did. We're going to fake the birth certificate later, so yeah. just keep it on the down low, okay? <laughs> right, and you came here when you were, you said, around eight years old? That's right. Yeah, and where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in New Jersey. Yeah. Oh, New Jersey. So you're an East Coast kid, right? Yeah, I am, yeah. Yeah, and how did you, how did you get into this type of thing of wanting to deliver us the news, so to speak, or journalism and that sort of thing? Yeah, so I was always a loudmouth in school, mm-hmm. uh, but not at home. I was a quiet kid at home, which is kind really? of funny. Uh-huh. Uh, and so um, I was immigrant family, so my dad's uh-huh. like, you must go to business school, to law school. That's and funny. So is I that did how he talks? Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's a pretty good impression. Yeah, <laughs> so, he, so I did both. I went Wharton undergrad, and then I went yes. Columbia. 
Columbia for law school. You're trying to be the the dutiful first uh, first generation immigrant child. That's right. right? That's Got right. It. And then uh, a friend of mine suggested right after law school, because I didn't know what to do. I would go out into a law firm, hated it, hated right. every minute of it. And she said, you know, you should take this learning annex course on how to start your own TV show. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's mental. That's no, you, right. of course you can't do that. But sure, okay, fine. Sure. That sounds fun. That's great. Yeah. And uh, and I learned how to do go to and do public access. That's uh-huh. how I got started. Because oh. back then there's no YouTube. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. And nobody's just going to give you a show. So I was like, okay. Right. And then I loved it so much. The first show I did, I was like, that's it. I'm done. This is what I'm doing the rest of my life. Interesting. And I'm going to share my opinions with people. And I told my dad eventually I quit law within seven months. Uh, and I said, Dad, sorry, but all those degrees gone away. <laughs> oh, my God. What was his opinion of that? <laughs> and I said, don't worry, though. I'm going to be a radio talk show host. Uh-huh. He, he's like, in Turkish, he's just saying, Amanha. That means watch out. Yes. Right? And he's like, so he's like, okay, okay. Where do we go to school for this? Uh-huh. And I was like. <laughs> Not a bad question, Dad. I'm kind of on Dad's side for this. <laughs> right. I'm like, there, there is no school for this, Dad. Right. You just kind of have to do it. Yes. So I sent out like 400 tapes to radio stations really? all across the country and mm-hmm. just kind of fought my way in. And did you just see yourself in the traditional traditional journalist role from the no, beginning? No, no. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I was always a talk show host. Okay, and, got it. And I never really considered myself a journalist until I realized how crappy the other journalists were. And then I, like later in my career, I was like, Compared to them, I'm actually not bad. Yeah. Like, so maybe this is a kind of perspective journalism. And then mm-hmm. we started doing real investigative journalism on the Young Turks because there was just such a need for it. Right. It was such an empty, empty, barren landscape. And how did that, the Young Turks developed on Sirius Radio first, right? Yeah, that's right. Now, it's interesting because it seems like, well, it doesn't seem like, but it definitely has a, what we would call a progressive slant. But you yourself considered yourself more conservative when you were younger. Yeah. Was there a switch in you or do you think there was a switch in the culture or the... Yeah, mainly a switch in the culture and a little bit of me. Mm-hmm. So I could pinpoint for you a couple of issues I switched on, sure. like the death penalty. So it's okay. So like, I'm not a good guy. I like vengeance. Uh, you know, I'm Turkish. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm just I am. Right? That's, a, that's a whole nother arena. <laughs> By the way, I have a Turk and an Armenian sitting right next to each other. Yeah, and we don't yeah. want to murder each other. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. I have to keep them years. apart right now. You guys have no idea. <laughs> I mean, but isn't this America? Isn't this wonderful? Right? Yes. A Turk and Armenian, I know. and we're it's black crazy. on air. <laughs> Yeah, and back on the air. Yeah, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. and you know, on our two longest, uh, actually even longer than Anna or Jr., who's black, and and mm-hmm. Jesus, who's uh, Latino, yes. and we've been doing the Young Turks together, the four of us, and Dave Kohler, who's Jewish, uh-huh. uh, for and Ben Mankos, who's Jewish, for so those that's six that core group for over right. a decade. And why did the Young Turks? Why was that breathed into existence? Why did that? What what was its purpose in the beginning? Yeah, so. Lots of stuff there. Um, so, in the in, I was a TV writer briefly. Okay. Okay. And um, and I that's where I worked with Ben Mankiewicz in the first place down mm-hmm. in Miami. And that's where Ben would tell me to your earlier question, "You're not a Republican, uh-huh. right?" <laughs> He's like, "You're way too compassionate and have empathy, etc." And I, and I was originally a Republican. Just my dad was a small business owner, mm-hmm. a little bit too much regulation, and when I wanted to balance the budget, etc. Then I realized. They never want to balance the budget. They're not going to. It's just a Mm -hmm. marketing gimmick. Like everything with the Republican Party was a marketing gimmick. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so when we uh, stopped working down in Miami, it was for Barry Diller's USA Broadcasting. I was a writer, so I came out here to L.A., and I remember I was writing for Daisy Fuentes on a TV pilot. And that's fantastic. Oh so Daisy probably doesn't know this, but she's the genesis of the Young Turks. I love that. Yeah, because uh, I remember the 
executive producer came up to me and said, could you write this a little bit more in Daisy's voice? And I said, no. Uh, I, I've never met Daisy Fuentes. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as I know, I'm her voice. Right? Didn't she date? Didn't she date Dennis Rodman at some point or something? I, I wouldn't know. be surprised. Really? I think. Well, <laughs> I have no I idea. Have no idea why yeah. that's in my head. I have no idea. <laughs> like it's <laughs> funny things that are in our heads right. about Daisy Fuentes. <laughs> I know. Right? Like exactly. I, I, I think of Doritos immediately. She was yeah. the girl in the Doritos commercials, right? See, I don't even remember that. Uh, maybe sure. I might even yeah. be wrong about that. I think thing. I briefly hooked up with one of her friends. Anyway, <laughs> and that may even be wrong. We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That's right. right. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, so I realized at that moment, I don't want to be anybody else's voice. I want to be my voice. Right. And so I called up Ben and I said, you want to do a talk show together? He said, I thought you'd never ask. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we started The Young Turks. And it was cool. as the Pittsburgh City Paper or whatever, the first paper that ever covered us wrote, it was part Howard Dean, part Howard Stern. Mm -hmm. And it was okay. – Half politics, half pop culture. Yeah. But then when we invaded Iraq, we got way more political because that was just so stupid. Yeah. And we were one of very, very few people n nationally on a show yeah. uh, to say, no, this is a really bad idea. It's going to turn out very poorly. Yeah. So we just had this kind of a heavy responsibility at that point. It kind of helped you find your voice in yep. a sense. Yeah. Exactly. And Anna, you... Uh, you joined, you came over once it was a full-blown entity. I think it was on YouTube by the time when you came over to Young Turks, right? Right. So TYT mm -hmm. started experimenting with YouTube clips in, I believe, 2005. I joined 2007, okay. right when I graduated college. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was really lucky because I already had a job um, in media. CBS Radio was where uh -huh. I started. but And you're from California, I'm right? from California, born yeah. and raised. Yeah. Uh, my parents were uh, born elsewhere. My mom in Armenia, my dad in um, Syria. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, but my dad- Immigrants, we get the job done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was working at CBS and I came across mm -hmm. a job offer from, well, it wasn't really a job offer from TYT. One of my colleagues at CBS told me that there was a temporary position available at TYT mm -hmm. and I was desperate to try anything else. I was really unhappy where I was at you know, assistant producing for a radio station yeah. wasn't really my thing. Um, for an establishment type radio station, right. I felt out of place. And so, you know, I didn't know if TYT would materialize into anything. I had never heard of it. The name was weird. I was like, who are these random dudes? Like, uh -huh. uh, well, they're offering me this two-week position. How bad could it possibly be? So I start showing up at three in the morning, and the first thing I see is— I love is, that. I started showing up at three in the morning. <laughs> that, was, that was, yeah, that was the call time, and I'm like, oh, that's I'm insane. What, that's a test, right? They're it is. Testing you, yeah. Well, it, there was also another test my first uh, morning when I walked in. Uh -huh. As I was walking up the stairwell, there was a giant human poop. What? Uh, yeah, so a homeless <laughs> person had pooped in the stairwell, oh, and I'm like— goodness. This is what my life has turned into. This go. is great. It's a nice metaphor for <laughs> right. a lot of things. <laughs> it yeah. is. It is. That's what you have to walk through to get to your job. Right? Yeah. That's true. Yes. Just a real quick explanation. Uh -huh. uh, it, I, it was a. I, it was in a hurry. No. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, we were doing Air America Radio back then. We were the morning oh, show. Yeah, yeah. 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 We'd uh -huh. actually rep uh, replaced Mark Marin for which he's never yeah. forgiven us. Sam uh, Cedar was on back in those days. That's and, right. Uh, and I Sam is Sam on a TV show year, a few years before him. Yeah. yeah, and Sam's mm -hmm. now part of the TYT network. Yeah. Uh, so mm -hmm. we're still all tight. Right. And and that's we were the morning drive on the East Coast. So the show started at three in the morning because wow. it's six to nine Eastern. So it was that's three right, to six. You're West Coast. West Coast. Wow, yeah. yeah. So it was yeah. a lot. Um, but yeah. uh, I didn't get discouraged because the first uh, content 
that I experienced at TYT was Jank railing on the Bush administration on, mm-hmm. you know, the preemptive war in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And at that point, things had devolved even further. And it was so refreshing because my experience at a local radio news station was, you know, no interaction with people in the newsroom. The news writers would come in. They would rewrite what they saw on the wires. Yeah. And then news actors and actresses would come in and just read what someone else wrote for them. And it was just not inspiring at yeah, all. Yeah, that's so interesting to me. Like, I look at what you guys do. I kind of parallel it with the Daily Show's rise because Jon Stewart kind of found his voice with the election in 2000 and also with the Iraq War. That's when people really started watching The Daily Show. Mm-hmm. And that kind of was his cause, was railing against Congress and the decisions they were making and that sort of thing. And you guys are kind of like the news version of that, you know, yeah. of how that voice was found in your place, you know. And it seems like you're the place for progressive news, if I can be so bold to say. Is that true? You yeah, think? definitely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you guys define progressivism? I don't know if I've ever heard a good definition of it. Do you have a definition yourself or, yeah. or a sense of what it is? What what, yeah. what do you think it is? And, and I actually do distinguish it from being liberal. I know yes. that people use it right. interchangeably. I but, agree. There ha- there's definitely a distinction, right? Right. So uh, Jesus Christ was a liberal. Mm-hmm. I mean, honest to goodness, liberal, like, uh, <laughs> turn the other cheek, uh-huh. uh, feed the hungry, mm-hmm. you know, I think these days they call them Maoist. Um, uh-huh. So uh, just give everything, away, give everything away, be incredibly decent to other people. And that's great. As I was explaining with the death penalty earlier, I'm not that guy, right? Okay. That guy's way better than me, <laughs> understandably, right? Yeah. So, but for a progressive, I, I think the idea is expand the circle of liberty. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's— Expand the circle of liberty. That's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, meaning you're on the lookout to make sure everyone has access to the same promises that liberty is giving, is purports you, to give us. Is that you what you're saying? You really got to the core of it, Larry. That's uh-huh. exactly right. So mm-hmm. that that has two components. It One is just simply demographic component. Right. It was propertied white men in the beginning, then mm-hmm. you know, then all white men, then right. women, uh, blacks, et cetera. So now mm-hmm. gay rights. So you're progressive if you want everyone to have the same rights. It's not too much of an ask, okay. right? Uh, but unfortunately, that has been a giant struggle throughout history. Mm-hmm. And then the second part and of it is- different and- Different parties have held progressive values at certain times. The Republican Party certainly was a progressive party for a long time. That's right. Probably yep. mm-hmm. reached its apex with Theodore Roosevelt, would probably say, who arguably may have been the most progressive president. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, so. that's exactly right. And yeah. Lincoln, of course, and that's why in current day Republicans get to Lincoln, say Lincoln, the first progressive president, arguably, right? That's right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um and that's why now Republicans like hide behind Lincoln. <laughs> We're the party of Lincoln. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure you are. No, the party switched, but okay, right. anyway. Uh, they love revisionist history. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the second part of it is the equality of opportunity. Mm. So you, so I, I'm, and I say this on the show all the time, I'm a capitalist. So I believe mm-hmm. that Nike should make sneakers. Sure. I believe GM should make cars, uh, et cetera. I, the government shouldn't get involved in that at all. I don't believe in price controls. I don't believe in any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But So what is the government's role? Is to provide that equality of opportunity. So you do th- through cops and firemen, because if your house burns down, you don't have much opportunity, especially if you were in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But that also applies to a couple of other c- 
areas where conservatives would disagree. One is education. So first of all, on public education, that is what liberated the world. Mm. You you look at what happened in, with the ideological revolution in, in France mm-hmm. and, and Paris. That actually came, and, and Hugo says this himself, came from Scotland. And in Scotland, all of a sudden, there's all these geniuses. Adam Smith, in talking about capitalism. Sure. And all, and all these other great, amazing writers. And so I was I was in Scotland. I tried to figure out what in the world happened that all these geniuses bloomed. Yeah, you know what happened? Huh. Public education. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because, Preach it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. That's Be- important. Yeah, because it, if you had all those geniuses, they just never got an education before. Only the rich could get an education. That's, that's so, right. And I think that we should extend that to college. And my dad had a personal experience. He was dirt poor farmer in southeastern Turkey, mm-hmm. got a free education in Turkey, and and create. And by the way, helped the economy, created a hundred jobs in Turkey, came over here, created all these jobs here. And then, and then the one last place that where equality of opportunity is really important is healthcare, because mm-hmm. you don't have any opportunity if you're dead. Uh, so, right. so I think we should provide universal healthcare coverage, and then the rest is is I think uh, free market. Uh, and how do you feel? Because uh, when I think of progressivism and try to categorize it, because I think there it feels like it's a new idea, even though we've just demonstrated it's been around for a while. But I think it was kind of forgotten for a while because I don't think any party was you know well b- I think behind it. It seemed like for a while, like the Democratic Party felt like the Republican Party in the 80s and 90s a little bit. Right. Well, yeah. I think I think the reason why it seemed as though and and it it certainly wasn't represented, progressivism mm-hmm. wasn't represented was because of two factors. First off, something that we finally began to acknowledge now, a lot of people were in denial about social inequalities. Uh-huh. Like right? In what ways? So um, in terms of institutionalized racism, mm-hmm. income inequality, wealth inequality, people were completely either in the dark or in denial about what was really going on. Mm-hmm. And that denial was a really frustrating thing to try to unravel when I first started working at TYT, because we would mm-hmm. do these stories about racial injustice, um, you know, the injustices within our uh criminal justice systems, yeah. so-called justice system. Right. And people would be like, you guys are race baiting. <laughs> we have a black president. And it was- no, I know, I've gotten all that too. Yeah. And we would we would mostly get that criticism yeah. from the right, but we would sometimes get it from the left as well that yeah. were like, you know, there's a lot of whining going on. Everything's great for everyone. They just need to pick themselves up by the bootstraps type of argument. Why do you think there's so much pushback? Maybe we can go after each of those in their own way. Institutional racism- and the racism issue, I kind of get the pushback on that because I think white people feel attacked for the most part on that. Mm-hmm. Like they feel like there, something was done wrong and it was white people that did. And there's an attack. And then a lot of people are like, well, I didn't do it, you know, and it feels like they're being socially attacked by it in this in this connection to that history. Like, in other words, there's an open wound there with racism that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like I understand why people don't want to go there. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. Wealth inequality, I don't understand. Right, I know. Why do you think there's a denial around wealth inequality? Well, I think there's a denial around Mm -hmm. wealth inequality because people vote and think as though they're either going to be millionaires or they think they already are millionaires, right? And so, (laughs) I mean, we see that problem. People think they already are millionaires? Well, I mean, I see it all the time. People Mm -hmm. vote. I mean— I think a good example, they vote as though they're already millionaires or plan Mm -hmm. to be millionaires. And, you know, now that I'm an adult and I kind of have a better understanding of how the world works, Mm -hmm. you know, becoming a millionaire is pretty impossible. (laughs) You know, it's not impossible, but it's incredibly difficult. Right. And I think what I was fed uh, when I was in school and I think a lot of 
people have been fed, uh, and I think it's propaganda, is this notion of like, just get your education. You're going to be tremendously wealthy. You're going to have everything you could ever want. Mm -hmm. And it, the real world doesn't work that way. Right. But unfortunately, people still have that mindset long after they graduate. And they think, mm -hmm. you know, oh, I need to make sure that uh, we keep the estate taxes low when their parents are living in poverty. What estate taxes? What are you right. talking about? <laughs> right. What are you going to inherit? Yeah, right? Yeah. I, I go a little in a different direction on that. Like, I don't know why wealth is attached to worth, mm -hmm. you know? Like, why does how much money you have give you a meaningful life? Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't. And this uh, concern that we have to put everything in the basket of an entrepreneur capitalist who wants to make a lot of money. Where, well, what about nurses? Their yeah. job is never going to make them millionaires. But I think they're pretty important to society. What about teachers? What about firemen? You know, people who rescue people. Those aren't occupations and services designed to create wealth. There are certain areas that are designed to create wealth and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's very specific. And, you know, not everybody wants not their goals aren't to be wealthy. <laughs> you know, right. some people's are, yeah. you know, and that's, and that's nothing wrong with it. It's great. You know? Yeah. So a couple of things about it. One, yeah. uh, a lot of the European countries got me rethinking about our priorities because mm -hmm. Finland uh, has gotten amazing results in education. Yeah. Number one and number two in almost every category in the world. And they don't believe in competition. Yeah. So for an American, and that that includes me, I... When you say they don't believe in competition, what do you mean? So they... They don't uh, use the, the private competition against the public? Is that that's, what you're So about? there's two okay. layers to that. One is exactly right. They don't allow any private schools. Okay. For an American, that blows your mind. Wait, I need an option. What if I, you know... No, no, well, but when Bill Gates' kid has to go to a public school, that public school is going to kick ass. Mm -hmm. And so they figured that out in a way that I would not have expected at all. And so they yeah. brought up the level of quality of all the public schools. Mm -hmm. And so now some people make the excuse, oh, well, there's a homogeneous society. Mm -hmm. In other words, yeah, but here in America, we get to separate out blacks and Latinos and make their schools way worse, mm -hmm. right? And they don't get to do that in Finland. Oh, poor Finland, right? <laughs> no, what if we didn't? What yeah. if we all actually invested in our public schools? And and it turns out that's that uh, that cooperation not among just among the races but among the classes uh -huh. makes a giant difference. And then they decide to pay their teachers more. To your point about the teachers, yeah. And they said, you know, as a society here in America, we have this idea we're, we're number one. So everything we do <laughs> right. by definition must be the right way of doing it. And we pay our teachers very poorly. Yeah. And then you realize, no, you can do it a different way. And when Finland pays their teachers really well. It turns out that that becomes a coveted job and it becomes really important to society. Mm -hmm. And it turns out you teach your kids really, really well. The other part of the competition that they don't encourage is grades. Again, for an American, that blew, it, blew, yeah. it blew my mind. Sure. Because no, that starts very early. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, but my dad told me I had to get straight A's and mm -hmm. that, that immigrant mentality. No, in Finland, they do it in a different way. And we can learn from that. We just have to open our minds. We can learn from the healthcare systems in Europe and Japan that gives much better healthcare, but does it at half the price, a yeah. third of the price. So in, in, in terms of the wealth inequality that we have here, they tricked everybody into thinking, hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you, hey, you're going to get tax cuts. If Republicans are in charge, you're going to get tax cuts. Mm -hmm. and, and the liberals and the Democrats are trying to redistribute the wealth. Meanwhile, I'll Boy, it was a brilliant ploy. They redistributed the wealth to the wealthy. Mm -hmm. So what they did was when they said tax cuts, those tax cuts went to the top 1% and mainly to corporations. You're talking about Finland? <laughs> no, no. I'm no, talking okay. about the U.S., oh, okay. right? Yeah. So so when when 
in America, the Republicans redistributed the wealth to the top. They, they have their own redistribution of wealth. Right? Yeah, mm -hmm. and and they kept saying the mantra of tax cuts as if you're the millionaire, to Anna's point, who's going to get the tax cut. Mm -hmm. But you didn't get the tax right. cut. In fact, the exact opposite happened. In 1952, uh, corporations used to pay about a third of all taxes. Mm -hmm. Now they pay only 10% of all taxes. Yeah. And the payroll tax, Social Security and Medicare, that the middle class pays. The rich doesn't even pay that. Mm -hmm. Only the middle class pays it. Went from... Similar numbers from around 10% now to about 35%. Mm -hmm. So they redistributed all the taxes onto you and away from multinational corporations who get to legally bribe politicians in America. Yeah. So that's the trick that they played to get everybody to think, oh, I should vote Republican because it's going to be tax cuts for me. No, it's going to be more taxes for you. Right. But the pathetic Democratic Party couldn't break any of those marketing strategies. Mm -hmm. And so to Anna's point about wealth inequality and why the, some people on the so-called left fight us, because the Democratic Party, the American people are largely right. Democratic Party establishment has turned into the elite. Yes. Yeah. And and so that elite, when you talk about wealth inequality, they go, oh, come on now. En enough with this Bernie Sanders talk. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and, and they've turned into the elite because they want to represent those who help them win their elections. Absolutely. And the people who fund their campaigns are the most important people for them. And unfortunately, right. they have moved away from representing, you know, the blue-collared workers and making mm -hmm. sure that their wages continue to increase along with the productivity of this country. Yeah. Um, they've turned away from those guys, and now they're focused primarily on their donors. And, you know, that's a huge problem on both the left and the right. I agree. I, I firmly believe it's a problem on both sides. And I believe it's a issue of values and how the country has decided to, uh, how we value what companies can actually do and what the relationship is with people. I, I was fortunate to have a long conversation with this with uh, President Clinton. I was hosting something and he was so good on this. He's he's. It's funny how smart he really is, but he's such a political animal too. Mm -hmm. But the values of corporations have changed over the years, and they did pay more attention at a certain point in history to the people who work for them, and they built their company and rewarded those people. And people were able to have middle class lives, and and you know people could have comfortable lives. But after a while, it, they were pleasing shareholders, people who invested in there, and it was all about stocks and not not even profitability, but how much shareholders were being rewarded. Right. And so the emphasis changed. So it was okay to just wipe out a company and combine it with other companies and all these things and all the things that happened in the 80s. And from my point of view, what conservatives did too, making, dismantling the whole tax system with that started with Reagan and making government the enemy, where government had never been the, the enemy up to that point. But now people on the right feel the government is the enemy. And now you see them falling over backwards when they need the government That's now. right. When That's there's, right. When there's a tragedy like the hurricane. Like I saw uh, Laura Ingram. Yes. Like she was tripping over her words yes. trying to, okay, well, we need government now. It's like, go fuck yourself. What yep. do you mean we need it <laughs> yep. now? You know, how she, dare you put out a message that it's irrelevant. And then you want to work in those levers of government. That's right. Like, they want to work in those levers of government that they've trashed. The, not know? only do they want to work in those levers of government, right. but you know, in the uh, specific segment that you're talking about on Fox News, mm -hmm. Laura Ingram was criticizing Trump, who she has supported, uh, you know, very vociferously. Yes. She she starts criticizing him for not nominating important people for positions that do government. Yeah. <laughs> that do government. That, that yes. do you know the government that, you trash all the time. Exactly. Yes. That you. 
you know, yeah. help uh, provide relief to people who yes. have lost their property and lost their lives right. because of these storms, right? And so, look, and it goes back to what Jenk said earlier about the lack of empathy that you see on the right. Mm-hmm. The right actually doesn't lack empathy when it comes to their own, mm-hmm. okay? When when mm-hmm. they're seeing, you know, a red state suffer the consequences right, of, right. you know, extreme weather conditions, yeah. all of a sudden there's a lot of empathy. Yeah, we but, got some Christians dying here. Yeah, yeah. but when you talk about kids <laughs> yeah. living in poverty who yeah. need, um, you know, government assistance so they can eat, all of a sudden, you know, oh, their parents are thugs and there's no empathy there. No empathy there whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so a couple of things about it. Grover Norquist had a famous line and he is part of the, at the core of the problem because he's the guy who funnels all the donor money mm-hmm. to the Republicans. Right. Uh, he said, we want to uh, shrink government down the to a size so small that we could drown it in a bathtub. And then Hurricane <sighs> Katrina happened and now Hurricane Harvey. And that analogy became a little literal. And yeah. all of a sudden, when it was their bathtub, and and that, and they're like, wait, 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 just like you said, wait, when, no, 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 our guys need help. Mm-hmm. And, no, but we've all needed help. The whole point of government is to work together as a community. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the idea of government. Now, at the same time, God, what? A no one wants it to be. No one wants the Soviet Union, for Christ's sakes. Right. They act right. like that's what the left wants is the Soviet Union and Soviet control of all levers of society. And they think when people talk on the left about socialism things, they always point to that or Venezuela. Is Venezuela, is that what you want? And say, well, how about Canada? Why don't you look at that? <laughs> yeah. you know, how about England or Germany? Why don't Sweden, you look at Finland. democratic socialism? Yeah. yeah. So and, and they also think that people are looking for handouts. People like right. me, for instance, are looking for handouts. Yes, yes. And so, you know, one of the top topics that I care about deeply is affordable housing. We talk about Mm -hmm. it a lot on the show. And every once in a while, um, I'll get criticized for expecting people to hand me a house or hand (laughs) me an apartment or whatever it is. And the reality is, my father had the opportunity to immigrate to this country, Mm -hmm. work for a decent wage, and then he saved up enough money to buy apartment buildings. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, I don't want handouts because if I wanted a handout, I would just move into one of my dad's apartments, you know, and I wouldn't have to pay rent. But I don't want to do that. I want to work. I want to earn. I I, I find a lot of pride in that. But I I want the opportunity to earn, right? So, And it's it's the search for how do you get the equal opportunity is where a lot of the divisiveness occurs, you know, because we define that differently, too, and what that means. Go ahead. Yeah, just to – yeah, so – uh, they, this lunatic just recently got fired from the Trump administration. He was in the, he was in the National Security Wait, which Council. which lunatic are you referring yeah, to? There's so many. Wait, is Trump gone? He fired himself? <laughs> one day, if one only. Day. Well, I have a theory on Trump. I think that he still thinks he's on Apprentice and has to fire uh-huh. somebody every single week. Right. So, yes. so it's possible. Yeah, yeah. This week it was Gorka, but it was yeah. one of the Gorka Bannon allies in the, in the National Security Council. Mm-hmm. And because he'd written a memo about how there was secret Maoists and Islamists inside the government – and the Maoists and the Islamists were going to work together. That's part of the deep state. Yeah. And yeah. the deep state. Like, mm-hmm. Why? Why would the deep state want to work with Islamists? Let, let yeah. alone the fact that I have, I'm, they say I'm super left, right? Yeah. I've never met a Maoist in my life. Right. What the hell's a Maoist? No. Have you ever met a Maoist? N- I don't think so. <laughs> right? yeah. They have all these fantasies and imaginations about yeah. how the left wants to take over your and life. No, I don't want to be inside your uterus. You do. Right. Yeah. I don't want to be in your bedroom. You do. Right. right? So mm-hmm. no, no, you believe in big government, but in other contexts. Mm-hmm. And but to Anna's point earlier, 
it, it's it's just that their definition, and again, it goes to what we were talking about before, the heart of progressivism. Okay. Uh, their definition of us versus our definition of us. So they're not bad people. They're great to their own family. They're great to their own church and their own community. Mm-hmm. But that's where they draw the line. And then everybody else is them. It's yeah. us versus them. And so when they see someone who's suffering that's not part of them, they go, oh, bootstraps. I, I don't care. Mm-hmm. But when a hurricane hits Houston, they go, wait, well, no, 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 no. That's us. That's us. Let's be compassionate. Let's yeah. open up the churches. Let's open up the government coffers, et cetera. Whereas progressives think that we have, should have a broader definition of us. Mm-hmm. Yes, that includes different races, different identities. Hey, how about all Americans? Well, let me ask you this, because it seems, you know, when I think of where we are currently, you would think more people, especially young people, and I think they probably do identify more with progressive ideals, especially in the social realm. I think there's enough evidence in the economic realm of how people feel on that level, just because we just went through, you know, a big financial thing a few years ago. And I think people are experiencing money in a way that we didn't experience it and the ability to earn and all that. So that's still out on, that's still on the table, I think. But social issues are definitely have provided people with clear sides to be on. But it seems like people aren't connecting with the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you know, president, both houses and all the local elections that are happening. Why do you think there's such a big disconnect with just not the the people who are following politics closely, but just ordinary Americans who are voting for local elections and Democrats seem to be disappearing around the country? Like, what's yeah. up with that? So well, they- gerrymandering has a lot to do with that. But can it explain yeah. all of it, though? I don't no. think it explains all of it. I also think that there— it feels like a movement to me more than— well. One particular thing. I can only speak Mm -hmm. uh, from my perspective. Mm -hmm. And my perspective is anytime you hear Democrats focus or harp on social issues, it seems disingenuous and Mm -hmm. it seems as a way to distract us from the fact that they're not really interested in doing anything about economic issues that impact us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, for instance, this past election, Hillary Clinton was banking on the female vote, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a woman. I'm going to be the first female president. Mm-hmm. You should vote for me for that reason alone. Yeah. That, I mean, that was really all she gave us. Yeah. And then the other thing mm-hmm. she gave us was, you know, negative politics toward Trump, which I hear you. You can attack him. You should attack him. Yeah. But you need to give us real policies that would positively impact our lives should you get elected. She didn't give us much of that. I, I I agree with that. I mean, um, to me, like I can think of like I, I think uh, I call that kind of candidacy a cynical candidacy when you're running against something. Yep. And the, and Trump had, even though he's attacking people, he still ran a positive campaign, meaning he was for something. Exactly. Yep. It was stuff I was against, but he was for a wall. He was for a protective trade policy. Yep. You know, he was for certain things where I can't name one thing Hillary was for. Yep. It's so sad. I, I don't yeah. know what she wanted to do. So yeah. let me explain the, the death of the Democratic Party and then maybe give a little mm-hmm. bit of hope as to Please. how it can be yes. revived. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's uh, money and politics that killed it. because okay. so And it wasn't even Citizens United. It was 76 decision uh, called Bilotti and the 78 decision uh, Buckley v. Vallejo. So what uh, – so actually Buckley was 76 and Bilotti was 78. So Buckley said uh, money is speech. Right? Okay. okay, I do remember that. Right. Mm-hmm. And then Bellani said, corporations, since we decided earlier, are human beings, which is hilarious. Yep. Um, they have freedom of speech. That means they can spend money in politics. 
And that was a death knell of our democracy. So mm-hmm. there is, uh, and I asked Ralph Nader about this. I said, my God, you're running roughshod back in the 1970s. You got your, you know, Nader's Raiders. Mm-hmm. And people forget Nixon started the EPA because he was so scared of Ralph Nader. Mm-hmm. He started OSHA because he was so scared of Ralph Nader. Right. That seems like a different planet, yeah. also, right? But also Nixon, I mean, not to defend Nixon, but Nixon was a different type of Republican. Republicans were allowed to be moderate Republicans in those days, you know. Yeah. No, no, no and, it's not that they were allowed. Yeah. It's that they had to in order to win votes. Yes, yeah. exactly. You're right. That goes back to your gerrymandering issues. Yeah. Exactly and well. so so I, I asked. But, but they weren't punished for it. He won in a landslide mm-hmm. in his second election. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like there wasn't a litmus test. Oh, no, right. that's right. That's what I mean. That's exactly right. right. So I asked Nader, I said, when the world happened? He said, I ran into a brick wall in 1978. And he didn't talk about the cases. I figured out the mm-hmm. cases. He said it was a guy named Tony Coelho. He's a congressman who ran uh, the House fundraising for the Democrats. Mm-hmm. And he said to the Democrats, oh, look at these decisions that were made. We can now take corporate money. So both sides started taking corporate money and we were done for. So at that point, all the donors go to two different kinds of Republicans and Democrats. For Republicans, Mm -hmm. since they want more tax cuts and they want less regulation, they fund really strong Republicans. Okay. Now, what kind of Democrats are they going to fund? Really weak Democrats whose job is to lose. They are the Washington generals. <laughs> I've never heard this theory. That's that's okay. very interesting. Go ahead, yeah, yeah. They're, they're the Washington mm. generals to the Republicans, Harlem Globetrotters. So mm. their job is to get their pants pulled down. So they go and they go, oh, my God, the tax cuts for the rich. Oh, well, I guess there's nothing we can do. Okay, you guys win. So, for example, Obama. Okay. He made Bush gave giant tax cuts for the rich, but it, it sunset after 10 years because of reconciliation. Right. Obama comes in, does window dressing, increases taxes a tiny bit, but then makes the rest of the tax cuts permanent. Mm -hmm. And what he did was he solidified 94% of the tax cuts that Bush could not make make permanent. And he was called a socialist. And he was called a socialist (laughs) for it. And so what the donors found is if you're a weak Democrat who's not going to stand up for progressive values— whose job is to just run milk toast campaigns like Hillary Clinton did, they're going to pour money in, in by the gallons. It's going to be a waterfall of money. If you're a strong progressive, that's it. Money's cut off. Nobody wants to give money to Bernie Sanders. Back in 2004, they cut it off for Howard Dean, mm-hmm. Alan Grayson. You find a strong Democrat, and I will show you the rest of the Democratic Party trying to kill his career. That's fascinating. I haven't heard it put like that. And I, I'm not one it. it, it Feels almost like a conspiracy theory, and I don't really. I'm not on the conspiracy theory train, you know. By yeah, yeah, no, neither am I. But 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 Larry, let me just clarify that it's it's a natural incentive and disincentive of the system. It's no one sitting in a smoke filled room going, "Whoa, let's find weak ass Democrats." It's a direct reaction to money. Exactly. (laughs) It's you go to where the money is. It's human nature, really. And you're going to see it play out um, Mm -hmm. during these uh, debates regarding so-called tax reform, mm-hmm. right? Um, Democrats were pretty strong when it came to protecting the Affordable Care Act when, you know, in reality, the Affordable Care Act is a handout to private industry. So, you know what? <laughs> I would love to, have, we have to come back and just talk about that alone. Because yeah. I have so many, I hate the way it's been put into a box as this savior healthcare thing. Like, right. Yep. I call it a Frankensteinian collection of half-baked ideas that was rushed through the system 
for political reasons. You well, know? you know who came out with it yeah. in the first place, the Heritage Foundation. Yes, in the 90s. Yep. I, no, I'm completely aware of that, you know. But politics is the thing that hurts the discussion of the Affordable Care Act more than anything. Even just calling right. it Obamacare Absolutely. hurts the discussion of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, um, if you look at polling that calls it Obamacare, people, yeah. you know, don't like it. I'm but, against it. Right. And then <laughs> if you call it the Affordable Care Act, uh, the approval for the policy goes up. If you uh, – focus on specific components of it, approval goes up. Yes. Um, so yeah, there are definitely politics baked in, but you know, it's a handout to private industry. Completely. So it's, it, and it's also a politically savvy move for Democrats to support it and want to protect it. When it comes to taxes though, we'll see how it plays out because m- my guess and my prediction is that they're not going to be as aggressive in fighting to keep taxes where they are or to increase taxes. I guarantee mm-hmm. you they give you that famous democratic line. There was nothing we could do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the where does the Democratic Party go? Because a party not only needs ideas that are strong ideas, but they need leaders, you know, and will it do you see it embracing progressivism as a party or rejecting it or or do we see I mean, are we ready for a third party now? Uh, yeah, well, uh, can I jump in? Um, sure. No, please. So I, I actually think, unfortunately, establishment Democrats haven't learned anything from this past election. Mm-hmm. And it's frustrating because- I don't even the, know who's on deck. Right. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. I mean, the people who still decide that it's a better strategy to mock and criticize Bernie Sanders supporters mm-hmm. are the people who will continue losing, right? And so you see it on MSNBC all the time. Uh-huh. And it's <laughs> incredibly frustrating because it's like, okay, Howard Dean, okay, Joy Reid, you can go ahead and make fun of us all you want, but those voters still exist. Right. Those voters did not show up and they did not vote for Hillary Clinton. And if they did show up, they did vote for a third party because they don't feel that establishment Democrats represent them. Mm-hmm. And you would think at this point, considering the fact that a madman has just been elected, they would learn something from that. Who and- arguably is a third party candidate. <laughs> In a sense. I mean, Trump's yeah, but, not, we know he's not really a, a Republican by any I don't even think he knows stand, what he is. And he does not. That, right. That's why he's third party. Yeah. yeah. Maybe a fifth party candidate. So, <laughs> so the establishment, uh-huh. it's not that they can't learn. It's that they're paid not to learn. Right, 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 right. So, so a lot of the establishment is stuff, people you never see on TV. It's Democratic consultants. Uh-huh. They get paid a tremendous amount of money to run all these campaigns. If a candidate who believes in getting money out of politics is elected, they all lose their jobs. Mm -hmm. So for them, it's a matter of life and death. Trump wins, they're fine. They're going to keep on running campaigns. If Bernie Sanders wins, they're not fine. So they hate Bernie Sanders way more than they hate Donald Trump. Because that is an existential threat to them. That is why you will see all the power players in Washington line up against Bernie Sanders. Now, if you are logical, who's the most popular politician in the country? Bernie Sanders. By a landslide. Mm -hmm. So who's the natural candidate in 2020? Why are we having this conversation? <laughs> so if, it, if can you imagine if Hillary Clinton was the most popular politician in the country? She was the least popular politician in the country, and they all lined up with her anyway. If Hillary had anywhere near the numbers Bernie Sanders did, everybody would say, get out of the primaries. Get you got to clear the field for Bernie Sanders. But they well, don't. she did win the popular vote. She she did, but you, <laughs> but that doesn't, it's, it's damning with faint praise. It doesn't yes. really help. Uh-huh. Uh, so it, in in terms of where we need to take the party, mm-hmm. we need to uh, take over their ship because and and break their back. And so the the the, the democratic party. need to do that. That's right. Okay. So the the reason for that is they're never going to learn. It's not like we're going to convince them. It's not like I'm going to do an argument on the Young Turks and 
people on MSNBC and Democratic consultants and Nancy Pelosi is going to go, all right, why didn't I think of that? Right? <laughs> no, 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 no. They're paid to do what they do. So what we got to do is we got to board their ship with our own pirate ship. Okay. And, and they're not in charge anymore. We're uh -huh. going to be in charge. So I started a group called Justice Democrats. Mm -hmm. It's not a third party. It's within the Democratic Party, but it's progressives who are uncorrupted. Mm -hmm. So you are not allowed to take corporate PAC money if you're a Justice Democrat. So we're going to run uncorrupted candidates in primaries against their establishment, soaked in money, Democratic elites. Okay. Now, they now watch them howl. And they're already howling, right? <laughs> oh, no, primaries hurt us. Oh, primaries hurt us? Great. You got a deal. Bernie Sanders is the leader, and it's obvious. Nobody primary him. No, 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 no. We have to primary him. Oh, then you like primaries. Great. Then I'm going to primary all of your congressmen and all of your senators. Mm -hmm. See, they make no logical sense. They don't want to make logical sense. But then you that kind of power cannot be appeased. It must be broken. Mm. So you have to play hardball. You have to run in campaigns and beat them. My brother was a big fan of the show Dallas. Design, and I think Jock Ewing was the patriarch. And one of he had a line that my brother always would imitate. Said, "Let me tell you something, boy. Nobody gives you power. Power is something you take." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's exactly right. That a, a funny line, you know. Um, let me ask you this, guys, because this is something that vexes me right now. And as a comedian, I have a different approach and all that stuff, but it's still a vexing thing. How do you cover Trump? Mm -hmm. I mean, I. I'm confused about that all the time because the thing is you really can't cover him like a normal person or president. Um, he's so outrageous and he's normalized his outrageousness, right. which I think is the biggest problem. Um, he's, well, he's normalized lying for goodness sake, yeah. Yeah. like in the name of outrageousness, but which is really lying. So mm -hmm. this is a conversation that we have in our production meeting mm -hmm. often. And, um, you have to find a way to, you know, obviously call him out on mm -hmm. his rhetoric and how he continuously divides the country. But talking about social justice issues is only going to fire his base up further, right. you know. But the one issue that I think does unite us is economic issues and economic mm -hmm. policy. And so you don't hear a lot of in-depth reporting regarding the fact that Donald Trump actually raise the cap to have more foreign workers come into the country and work on his properties, right? Right. As soon as he raised that cap, uh, Trump Industries applied for foreign visas. And so do you think Fox News is reporting that? Do you mm. think his constituents know that? I mean, his constituents, do you think the electorate knows that? Uh, his base certainly has no idea. And so when I was at Politicon debating Ann Coulter, I threw that fact oh out God. there. I know, I threw uh -huh. that fact out there because she's as anti-immigrant as it comes. Yeah. And she couldn't, you know, she couldn't find a good rebuttal for it because it's the truth. He is not looking out for anyone except for himself. He's not draining the swamp. He is filling the swamp with even more of these corporate um, douchebags, keeping it real, who, right. who stand to profit and exploit our system as much as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. And so those are the stories that are going to wake people up. And I want to focus more on that. Um, there was a great article in Politico yesterday about how uh, Democrats in office right now are trying to figure out whether or not it makes sense to focus on the Confederate statue debate mm -hmm. or um, maybe focus on Trump's rhetoric or should they focus on policy? Focus on policy. That I matters. Agree. I feel like things like Confederate statue stuff, that's yeah. for like people like me. That's for activists. That's for, the, I mean, that's our, that's the community's job, mm -hmm. you know? Like I hate when politicians jump on bandwagons of things 
I agree. And, it's and pandering. The, yes. And then policy is never discussed. Never. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And that's why they do it. Uh, the Democratic On Party. On both sides, yeah. Yeah. The Democratic mm-hmm. Party elite have their cutesy things. Like they, they love identity politics. So the a minute that they can, you know, condemn Charlottesville, they're all over it. And they should. It was mm-hmm. horrific right. what happened. But sometimes there's an overkill with it. Yes. Right? And then they do things like they figured out, oh, I can curse. And that'll get me attention, and it'll seem like I'm a rebel mm-hmm. without actually fighting for anything that on the policy level that would change people's lives for the better. So they, they're constantly looking for cover to make it appear that they're populist without actually doing the policy work of populism. Mm-hmm. So I, part of the reason we named our group Justice Democrats is because it's you can walk and chew gum at the same time. We are for social justice. And economic justice. Mm-hmm. And so social justice is really important because on a moral level. And we need to fight for that. And we don't need to back down one inch from that. Um, at the same time, economic justice is what unites us all. Yes. Yeah. And, and I agree with that. Yeah. It's the economy stupid won an election. Yep. Yep. I mean, and that phrase, mm-hmm. you know, and those types of things. Go I mean, ahead. think about the number of people who supported Bernie Sanders. And then when he didn't win the nomination, they ended up voting for Trump. And mm-hmm. I mean, they're polar opposites, but they had one message that I think people mistakenly thought was similar. And it was the message of improving the economy, mm-hmm. right? Now, um, Bernie Sanders was genuine in wanting to improve the economy and he had a, a smart plan to do so. Trump didn't and mm-hmm. doesn't. And I think he's proven it with his lack of legislative wins, a lack of a real policy that's detailed. Um, but the reason why people, I think, flocked to Trump eventually is because of the fact that he was talking about bringing jobs back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you got to keep in mind, most people aren't in the bubble that we're in. Our right. bubble is, OK, we eat this stuff up all day. Yeah. We read about this stuff you all day. You know, the day. nuance of policy and exactly. issues and those things. Yeah. For the majority of Americans, they're busy trying to make ends meet. They don't have time to sit there and read the the nitty gritty. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So if they hear a politician, you know, talk about an issue that matters to them, bringing jobs back, for instance, they're going to go to that politician. Mm -hmm. And he he hoodwinked them. It's really frustrating, but it's... It's like when you're in a crowd and your name is called, you turn, but... A thousand names could be called, but you hear your name, you go, oh, somebody's calling me. So one of our reporters interviewed this great guy who was fighting for uh, increasing minimum wage in Western Virginia. Mm -hmm. And the interview starts with this guy, Nick Smith, saying, now, I ain't nothing but a white trash hillbilly from the holla. (laughs) And I'm like, I already love this guy. right? And basically his point was Trump at least had the decency to lie to us Mm -hmm. and say, hey, we're going to bring jobs back and we're going to fight for you. Hillary fought for, fought for the status quo, mm-hmm. the worst political strategy I could possibly imagine. And the Democrats have learned nothing, and they continue to fight for the status quo, which is just, it's the only thing that could lose to Trump. Yeah, it's and, you know, the flip side of it, she's kind of between a rock and a hard place because she can't run against Obama, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. she's part of that administration. Also, I don't know why Obama never got credit for improving the economy. Right. Yep. You don't have the same economy he had when he came into office. Yep. You know, Trump takes credit for, you know, a hundred point gain in the stock market that already gained 13,000 in the years before. Right. Yeah. You know, so what, like look, he just fixed this. Why do you think no, I can't find any Democrats. I know Republicans don't give Obama credit for it, but if I, I felt like, uh, like Hillary wasn't even running on the accomplishment of bringing the country back 
at least to a place where you could feel the recovery. Go ahead. So I think she tried. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason why it didn't resonate is that, you know, while the unemployment rate certainly did improve under yeah. Obama, our wages are still stagnant. Yeah. Our wages are stagnant and inflation is through the roof when it comes to a lot of the life essentials like housing mm-hmm. or food. And so while it might appear that the economy has improved, if you look at job numbers, right. the reality is a lot of people can't afford the the mere basics of life. And mm-hmm. so I can say that my generation is frustrated when we look at our parents and like my dad came here and worked as a handyman, yeah. you know, he made enough money to support a family of four and save up enough money to buy apartment buildings as a handyman. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. It's right. It is extraordinary. Yeah. So, um, the, so I criticize Obama in about a thousand different ways. When I know he was you president. have, yeah. yeah. And you, you guys always kept it real on that, you know, yeah. Which was hard in the beginning. It. I know because yeah. there's a lot of pushback, and and we got an enormous amount of pushback from mm-hmm. the Democrats and from the left. Uh, but but we were right. On the other hand, uh, credit where credit is due. He mm-hmm. did some wonderful things, mm-hmm. and and so one of his problems was he is he's not like Trump. Trump, if he does anything right, he'll. Or even if he doesn't, he'll just lie about it. He's constantly mm-hmm. self-promoting. And Obama was so timid about self-promotion. My God, man, Bush destroyed the economy. Mm-hmm. And you brought it back. And yes, stagnant wages are terrible. And we talk about it on the show all the time. But yes, at least the unemployment numbers. I mean, you added, all, mm-hmm. what was it, 13 million jobs? Bush only created 1 million jobs in eight years. For Christ's sake, brag about it. I felt like Obama was an effective orator, but an ineffective communicator. Mm-hmm. That's you know? a great way of putting it. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yes. Um, he did great things for the yeah. environment. I mean, I wish he would have done more, but he did achieve great things uh, for the environment that, to be quite honest, we didn't even know about until Trump had been elected. Yeah. Because Trump started undoing some of those things. And, and we like, go, oh, shit. He yeah. Did yeah. Oh, wait, yeah. What? what happened? So yeah. it's. Um, uh, and, and look, he was obsessed with bipartisanship in the beginning. And, oh, yeah. and he oh. had so much power. He had yeah. Congress on his side. He could have done so much. That's the and, two things. Sorry, Anna, yeah. to interrupt. It's the two things that Democrats yeah, me. need to to uh, take a page out of Trump's book. Mm-hmm. If you did something right, for God's sake, tell people about it. Mm-hmm. Do slideshows. Do video presentations. Put up a graph. Here's where jobs were. Here's where they are now. Here's where the stock market was. Here it is where it is now. And pounded, pounded, pounded until they go, okay, I get it. Democrats created jobs. Yeah. I get it. De- Republicans suck at creating jobs. Democrats are really good at creating jobs. Say it over and over until, until you win. And be strong. A lot of it is timing, too, because when Obama came in, it was easy to have a full out of- uh, assault on him, especially with Fox News, because the economy was still tanking. So for two years, it was very easy to attack Obama and to say he doesn't know what he's doing and all this. And it was very hard to defend him from an economic standpoint, you know, and you timing works so much in politics. That's why I, I felt if Romney had been elected in 2012, people would be calling him the greatest president ever. Look what he did with the economy. <laughs> when we know the economy, it takes a while. It's like a big ship, right. you know, to turn economies around. It takes time. You know, you have to be fortunate to live in a place that can turn economies around. Some places cannot. Yeah. Know? Right. And, and, but the second lesson is strength. Yeah. So you're right about the timing of it. But once Obama had turned the economy around, he should have just dropped the mic every other day on Fox News. What now? What now? <laughs> and you said that oil prices being low, being high yes. was, was. We're going to get gas prices down to $3 a gallon. Yeah. yeah. You said that, uh, that that was a big problem, that the oil prices were high and it was my fault. Well, now they're low. So you're going to give me credit? 
Bill O'Reilly, if you don't go on air and say, congratulations, President Obama, yeah. you're the best president ever for bringing gas prices down, then you're a fraud and a liar. Thank you so much for just being here. I could talk to you guys for so long, but I want to talk about what is, what is, where is news now? I think a lot of people feel lost in terms of who they can trust. I used to get asked this question about comedy. It's like, how come people trust Jon Stewart so much, you know, and they look to his news, but John's not there anymore. I mean, there are other people in comedy, but comedy's not good enough. We're, we're designed to be satirists. We're not designed to deliver the news, you know? So you guys, I believe are the future in many different ways, but you know, what's, what's going to happen with news? I mean, we have a, a president that is, has an all-out assault on the fourth estate, you know, and uh, I think is eroding people's ability just to even hear, you know, stories and news. Uh, do you, are you guys positive? Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? Where do you stand on that? Well, I, I'm optimistic when I see what we're doing, when I see what, and I, I know you just mentioned comedians. I, I watch John Oliver and yeah. I never miss an episode. In fact, I get really salty when he goes on hiatus, yes, which I, I feel like is all, all the time. The time. They I, used to get mad at me. Barry, how come you're not on? I don't know the schedule. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, even though he might not be uh, designed to be a, a serious news person, he right. does comedy. Um, he delivers news in a way that reveals a lot about what's going on. He he digs deep mm -hmm. when, you know, our establishment media refuses to do so. But that's what I there mean. Was, it reveals a lot of the state of our news. Right. That, that we're relying on John Oliver. It does. It does. Yeah. And and they're not, I mean, I, I don't think establishment media is going to learn anything. And, and it goes back to the same conversation we had about politicians not learning anything. Mm -hmm. It's not really about learning things. It's about who pays your you know, who, who funds your paycheck. Right. And so, you know, if you have BP advertising on your network, you're not going to be as critical about oil companies, mm -hmm. right? You don't want to lose that advertiser. But um, I just, I think it's important for people to know that there are a lot of other sources out there. Okay. Independent media is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. um, and so I love Amy Goodman. I love Democracy Now. Mm -hmm. um, I'm teaching a class right now at uh, Cal State Northridge. Oh, cool. And one of my students uh, told me that she's a big Democracy Now fan. And this is a young, you know, early 20s student who's into Amy Goodman. It just like blew my mind, yeah, right? Yeah. Because I was concerned that they'd all say Facebook or Twitter. But no, they're paying attention. Young people know where to go in its independent media. Yeah, awesome. Guardian, uh, uh, The Intercept, mm -hmm. uh, McClatchy Newspapers. There's some great work out there. So mm -hmm. here's— uh, And for establishment media— Washington Post, man. I, I, They're doing a lot better. Yes. I'll say that. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So two, two things that I think the establishment media gets wrong. First of all, uh, they think that they're unbiased and they think if you're yes. on the left or the right, you're biased, but they're unbiased. No, <laughs> they do have a bias. Yeah. Their bias is an establishment bias. Interesting. They, they think the establishment is always right. And they think, mm -hmm. you know, on CNN, you have never heard the sentence, the Pentagon lied. Mm -hmm. Never. And there's a Pentagon lie from time to time? Of course, of mm -hmm. course it does. But if you're filled to the room with generals and White House spokespeople, they come at it from an insider perspective. And yes, that is a perspective and one that favors the status quo, which the rest of the country hates. So they have a bias that they don't acknowledge and that is antithetical to what the rest of the country wants. Yeah. So that's point one. Point two is they, they did this trick where they confused neutrality and objectivity. So- Nice. Yeah. So Tell me that distinction. Yeah. That's so if one. you apply that to sports reporting, you would see how comical it is. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, objective is the Lakers played the Spurs and the Spurs won 100 to 90, right? Okay. Neutral is 
The Lakers played the Spurs. The Lakers say they won. The Spurs say they won. <laughs> I guess we'll never know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. I've never heard that distinction. You see so yeah. much of that. And, you That's, know, I, I love that. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's also the false equivalencies that you see. Uh, so um, yeah. there's this obsession with having panels with like 50 people on them. And, you know, there are some reasonable people on that panel. And then you have crazy Trump campaign insiders like Scotty Nell Hughes. Scotty Nell Hughes is literally one of the dumbest people I've ever met in my life. Yeah. Um, and I I'm I know that's an insult and a very strong one, but homegirls never sat down to read a book. <laughs> she doesn't them, know what's going on. I call them spokes goblins. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So um, you know, it was incredible how many times during the campaign mm -hmm. um she had no idea what she was talking about, but CNN kept calling her back on. She was back on the air almost every single day. Yeah. I was on once with her, and you know. I kind of tore her apart a little bit and she looked foolish, mm -hmm. but guess who never got called back on again? Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, and, and but I'll tell, I'll tell you that established media, they don't know it. And again, it's no smoke filled room. There's no conspiracy, right. but they have tremendous disdain for the left. Mm -hmm. They will have right wingers on no matter how insane they are, no matter how, what, the, how they insult the mainstream media. So they'll insult CNN and say, you're fake news. They're like, Oh, welcome. They'll roll out the red carpet. <laughs> right. Yeah. But if the left, says, hey, CNN, you've got an establishment uh, bias. Yeah. Oh, that's it. You're banned forever. It happened to me at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Exactly what I happened was, to you. I was banned from going on CNN for a while because they were so mad stupid. at what I, I said. It was so yeah, insane. Yeah, look, there's a good yeah. chance. I know I'm blacklisted at MSNBC, mm -hmm. and I'm likely blacklisted at CNN and Fox News. Now, I have the largest progressive news channel and news network in the world. Yeah. But if, I, if, I, if you had my equivalent on the right, I mean, we're, I don't know if we're five times larger or 10 times larger than Breitbart. Mm -hmm. If you had a, a something of that size and magnitude on the right, all of our hosts would be all over cable news every single day. Right. But they hate the left. They don't know it. Like, if you <laughs> asked them, they'd be like, no, what do you mean? <laughs> and it's funny. No one else would have this opinion that you're saying right now, too. I love I love when something is uh, counterintuitive, but it's so true, you know? Yeah. Because yep. it's not the first thing. Like, Go ahead. And, and I don't want to make it seem as though I mm -hmm. don't want people from the right represented on these shows sure. or on these panels. I know I, so. I, there, are, there are actually smart people on the right who have good arguments that should be heard. Mm -hmm. But I feel like um, some cable news outlets specifically look for a circus yeah. and they want people who are willing to say outlandish things because those segments will get picked up by other media outlets. Other media outlets will be like, Oh my God, could you believe this mm -hmm. happened? And that person said this and the other person said that. And so it's like this vicious cycle of nonsense. And in the meantime, you know, we have an administration that's signing executive orders that are really damaging people's lives. Yeah. We have Congress failing to achieve or accomplish anything. We have, you know, dangerous legislation being proposed on a more local level. Those issues don't get covered, but the circus continues. And that's the thing that frustrates me. Well, I want to thank you you guys for not being a part of that circus and for <laughs> you. giving us uh man it truly is oxygen in an oxygen deprived uh world right now um so i just want to thank you for being on the show anna it's very thank you keep keep fighting the fight for truth man it's 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 exhilarating thank you so much thank, thank you Larry. You. really appreciate it all right thanks guys we'll thank see you, you.